Hey everybody, it's Lou Zant. And it's Meredith Griffin. Welcome to another episode of the Major Crush Podcast. So with uh, tourism kicking back in full gear, things are back and open and ready to go, Lou and I thought it might be a great time to revisit our podcast episode we did in our very first season with tips for coming to visit wine country. Because some things have changed, um, you know, we'll get into all that, but we just thought it would be a good time to kind of come back. This is one of our most popular episodes that people have listened to, and we just thought it'd be a good time to update it. And we love to talk about coming to visit wine country because we want y'all to come out and visit. We really have, you know, like every person that uh, we know, all of our friends, before they come out, we just, we send them this podcast that we did earlier on coming to the wine country. I think you're going to notice some really nice tips. And like Meredith said, the the wine country is back. It's post-COVID and this place is just jamming. So we want to go a little deeper into some details that you're going to want to know about be, uh, before you come out. I think it's going to uh, change your experience to be, you know, much, much more uh, pleasant. Yeah. And so we kind of thought we'd break it down. And first, we're going to talk about preparing for your trip. And we're going to talk a little bit about why that's important. There used to be a time, and I know this for me, I'd just show up and kind of wing it, just see where how I was feeling. But because of um, wine country's busy now, especially at high season, and there's more, maybe a little bit more rules since COVID, more places require reservations. We're going to talk about how to prepare for your trip, but then a little bit about like morning of, day up, some of those like frequently asked questions that we always get from our friends, our family, our listeners, uh, just to help guide you. Because we want, when you come, we want you to have the best possible experience you can have when you come out to visit. Uh, so Lou, so let's talk about this. As you start to plan for your visit to Sonoma, Napa, and really any wine country, at least that we know of in the United States. Maybe we can't speak to visiting countries outside of the U.S., but any wine country. Lou, what's one of your first things you advise people as they start to plan? Uh, We wrote down, you and I were talking about experience. What kind of experience are you looking for? Now, that sounds like a weird question, Mm -hmm. but let's go deep into it. Number one, do you want to go to handmade artisan what we what we call boutique wineries which is usually about less than three thousand cases uh less than yeah less than three thousand even some will say less than five thousand can make you a boutique winery um yeah and these are you know like definitely definitely my favorite although i do have a couple of secrets that little hidden gems that I'm going to lay on you here later on that are, that are substantial right along Silverado trail, right along, uh, highway 29, which is the main two roads that run up the Valley. And the uh, highway 29 is the most Western. Uh, it's up against the, uh, the, uh, Maya Camus mountain range and the Silverado trail is up against the Bacchus range. Uh, a little helpful hint, if you're driving and you don't have a, a driver, the uh, traffic flows much better on the Silverado Trail than on 29. Mm-hmm. And that's over at Napa side. Just on the Napa side, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then you got to ask yourself, do I want to go to Sonoma or do I want to go to Napa? 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, somehow, some way, when Napa cabs started coming out, it was all Napa, Napa, Napa. And I'm finding more and more people said, you know, we went to Napa, we went to Napa, we went to Napa, we went to Sonoma, and we're not going back to Napa. We're enjoying Sonoma so much. If it's your first time coming out to that area, the Sonoma-Napa area, I definitely think you should ideally have a day to experience Napa and a day to experience Sonoma. So you I do too. You kind of get to experience how different they are, but don't try and do Sonoma wineries and Napa wineries on the same day because travel time, you'll you'll spend more time in the car traveling than getting to enjoy tasting. But I do think you have to experience both to appreciate each and see their differences. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, and they're different. They, mm-hmm. they actually are. And, you know, different in prices and different varietals. You know, my theory, I have a theory on everything. And my theory on Sonoma and Napa is, you know, Napa got so popular and it was predominantly Cabernet Sauvignon, which is a more expensive varietal. A Napa cab is very expensive. The real estate in Napa can be one to $3 million an acre. So they're going to grow cab. You know, they have other varietals, but that's going to be the lead story. But Sonoma it's probably thirty to sixty thousand dollars an acre. So these guys can plant these really cool varietals. Meredith and I love going up into Dry Creek and you know drinking Grenache Blanc and yeah. uh, some yeah. uh, some Viognier's and some Marsan Roussans, you know Rhone varietals and things like that that is are really fun and very well made. Very yeah. well made, you know. You'll 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 find I think more diversity of wines in Sonoma uh, than Napa. Yeah, and a good question to see is what's your budget? You know, if mm-hmm. if you if you're on a little bit less budget, you're going to enjoy yourself more on the Sonoma side. It's, it's it is less expensive. Good point, Lou. And also going back to those experiences, because one of the things uh, with wine country getting so competitive different wineries now are offering it's more than just come in and do a tasting some offer food pairings some do tours some have um you know specific flights some do wine education so those are other ways like if you don't want to just come in and taste wine a lot of wineries offer additional experiences so get online and see what's out there and also part of the the budget is what do these experiences cost? So you're always going to pay a tasting fee typically, but sometimes if you, you know, a difference between a tasting fee and maybe getting to have just a little bit more experience, you might be minimal enough and worth changing it up. So get out and see what kind of experiences, because some can be really educational and fun and just a different way to explore wine country. Yeah. And I, and, and with that, I am finding more and more uh, places that if you ask them ahead of time, if I buy some wine, would you be willing to waive the tasting fee? And a lot of them really will. Mm-hmm. But like Meredith said, you better, you better find out in advance because you could pull in and it could be a situation where they're charging $7,500 um, a taste. So you yeah. want to be careful and make sure you know that. And that goes right into, you really probably need to have reservations in advance for tasting. I, Lou, you can speak to this probably more because you're there, but there was a time where it was easier to just show up and walk into a tasting room. But I feel like now more places are requiring reservations if you really want to like get to taste like their best wines. 
Well, it, it, you're you're spot on, Meredith. And I don't know if it's because of pre-COVID or what exactly it is. But, you know, like your girlfriend, uh, Heather, Heather Boop, is coming out. I, You don't know how hard I worked to get these reservations. Mm. And that was a month in advance. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. No, I think that's such an important. So you, I think you have to put a little more preparation time into showing up um, now. And, and that kind of leads into a little bit, you know, having someone like a tour guide transportation who can help set you up with some of those, like we're talking about, you know, smaller wineries that otherwise you don't hear of. Of course, I would tell you, listen to the major crush podcast and all the episodes we've done, because a lot of the people that we have featured are those smaller boutique wineries that you're not, you know, aren't the big boys. Um, so listen to us and you might find some that you want to visit. <laughs> Well, and also, Meredith, just the fact that you've already made uh, plans to visit these places, more than likely, if it's around the Napa or Sonoma, we've done interviews with them. So you could go on to one of our 105, I think it is, <laughs> podcast, yeah. and yeah. Uh, listen to an interview with the winemaker. And it's really fun mm -hmm. to know a little bit more about it. Now, this is the question, Meredith. I got two things to say. All right. How many tastings in a day? <laughs> and what's really, really comes up for me a ton with the friends and family that come out. When do you eat dinner? What what, what time do you make oh. your dinner reservations? Oh, well, I think there's a couple approaches to that. So how many wineries to visit? When I was young and did girls trips, eh, we might try and do four in a day. I'm going to tell you that's too many. <laughs> but, it really is. I mean, I think, and this, it's hard. If you're coming and you don't have a lot of days, I think three is the max. I think two is a beautiful day, like a perfect day. One before lunch, have some lunch and one after. And then you have, then you're still good to like have a little gap before dinner. Yeah. And I also want to point out, Mayor, because Meredith and I know a little bit about the best ones to go visit, Nat. We're not visiting wineries that you go up to the bar and they pour four or five little tastes. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean, Mayor? That's yeah. back when you could do four of those. Right. Because that's the thing. Like, that takes less than an hour sometimes to do. But when you're going to smaller ones, sitting down, talking to a winemaker, or they're doing one of the... That can be an hour and a half, sometimes right. longer. Almost all the time, it's 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you've drank, and you've probably drank the better part between all of the wines that you're going to taste. You've probably drank about three quarters of a bottle of wine. Yes, unless you're so, spitting, which is absolutely okay to do. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm talking yeah. about, you know, going in these tastings. So three, three tastings, you've drank a bottle and a half of wine throughout the yeah. day. Yeah. You're going to have a buzz. So I think we, we'd say two to three tastings is probably. That's what I like. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and again, it's based on the, on the type of tastings. If you're going to these more boutique wineries and not your commercial wineries. Which I think is an important point that you bring up there, Lou, in terms of, you know, there are different tastings. There's small boutique, there's kind of the medium size, and then there are the big boys. And I think ideally your first time to visiting wine country, you should experience each of those. So you also can know how to plan your, your trip based on that. I agree. 
The other thing I think that's really important, I want to get this point across to you guys, because it's profound how much this happens to me. Be open-minded about your varietals. Yes. yes. I understand people back East not liking white wines. And it's a simple reason. They are too mass produced. But everybody that comes out here and they get a they get handed a glass of Napa Sauvignon Blanc or a beautifully made Chardonnay, they immediately go, whoa, I love these. Mm-hmm. So don't be an ABC or anything but Chardonnay. Be real open-minded. And what's fun to do is log into your head what style you like. And that mm-hmm. might help you when you get back home mm-hmm. to acquire it. But You know, the problem is when you go to mass produce wines, especially white wines, it's much harder to do it. And they just don't really come out the way you want it. So be open minded, man. Try some of these Rhone varietals. Try a Pinot Noir if you don't like Pinot. And yeah. You, yeah. it's it's the best time to do it because you're you're not committing to a bottle you're at a tasting they're pouring you a sip it's the best time to be open to trying anything because you paid for the tasting they're pouring it for you just just be open to exploring doesn't mean you have to you know you can just crush on it or flirt with it there you go <laughs> i like it i like it so lou you can talk a little bit about transportation because i I always advise to at least one of your days, have someone drive you around so you don't have to worry about it because it's stressful driving. Some of the wineries are up winding roads and they're hard to find and you've had a couple sips. Don't put yourself in that situation. Just have someone take care of you. Well, I agree. And and, and on that note, A, you can you can talk with your driver ahead of time and give them your your I dream of genie wish wish list, <laughs> you know, like a genie pops out of the bottle and you want to go to a, a mountain view or you want to go into a beautiful cave experience or you want to, you know, sit in the middle of a vineyard, whatever you want to do, you get a good driver and they'll work with you because because they know and I can say we know these hidden gems when you're in the valley every day. And I'll say this. I'm I'm probably in the valley every week for now eight or nine years. Not one week has ever gone by that I don't hear about a new winery. And I went to four new wineries last week, and every single one of them blew my mind. The place where they held it was just gorgeous. These these estates, the wines were off the hook. Uh it's so important to get a driver, but yeah. I really, I, I'm big on, on like you're saying, Meredith, at least one day, because that driver is going to talk a lot about, you know, things like how to taste wines, what, you know, explain to you the terroirs, which are so important. You don't know how important they are because all of a sudden, you know, you're drinking a Rutherford cab and you, and you kind of love that little dusty taste in a cab. Well, the next time you're at the store and you see a, and you see the cab section and you look at the back of the bottle and you see it's Rutherford, you know you like that style mm-hmm. because, you know, you remember what it was like drinking Rutherford's or Oakville's or St. Helena or Calistoga style wines. 
Absolutely agree. And I think of it like a driver's more than a driver. They're your tour guide. They're your wealth of information and knowledge that can teach you so much, but also guide you and point out things. You're getting more than just someone driving you around. And it's, it's just so worth the experience. And that that's also brings to the point, I mean, Uber, Lyft, those are great options, but not in wine country because a lot of the wineries are off, would you say off grid, but they're not going to be able to find you. But you also then aren't guaranteed someone and you might lose time being able to get to your next stop as well. Yeah, um, I've seen poor girls in sundresses and heels walking down one of the mountains because they can't get reception. Mm-hmm. You know, to get to do an Uber or Lyft, you need reception on your cell phone and it's spotty in the wine country. Yeah. So this is not the time to rely on Uber and Lyft. And they're not going to also be able to give you all the additional information and talk about terrar and share what 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 you're passing and what you're driving by. So this is the time to splurge on a on a driver. Now let's talk about food, Meredith. Yes, let's talk. Well, as you mentioned, really important to know, have a plan for dinner because the worst thing is you've had been out tasting all day. And a lot of times by the time you're done, you're ready to eat. <laughs> and if you don't have a reservation somewhere in a plan, you might be going through the drive through <laughs> Right. And I cannot tell you how many times I've been with people. And I don't know, I, I it feels to me... not. Not that I'm well, everything is back east from California, but a lot of people are on a normal day are um, okay with eating later. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you, you've had your you know, I used to pick you up about nine o'clock, you're in your first tasting at 10 o'clock, you've eaten lunch at noon, you have two more tastings in the afternoon, and we're finishing up around 5 30. Here's what you're going to say. I'm going to go back and take a little nap and then go to dinner about 99 out of a hundred times. The next morning when I see you, I go, how was your nap? Well, I woke up at one o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. You just sleep. You're so relaxed and you're so kind of wiped out from being in the beautiful valley and the sun and the, and the wine and the conversations you're whooped. You want to make your reservation between 5.30 and 6.30. Trust me. I I, I agree. And we're, you know, Dave, David and I are late, late yeah. eaters. But typically by the time we get, we, we usually 6.30, 7, uh, plan on making sure we have a reservation somewhere. And sometimes that's because if we know we're, this is something maybe more complicated, but like say we're staying in Sonoma, but we know we're going to be in Napa tasting all day. We also know we're probably not going to get back by five. It's probably going to be five thirty six. We give ourselves a little wiggle room there, but I'm yeah. with you. Don't, don't think you can wait to eat at eight o'clock after a day of wine tasting. And that also speaks that a lot of restaurants in Sonoma and Napa don't serve late for that reason, that a lot of people don't make it out late after they've been wine tasting. So when you're looking for a late meal, it's sometimes really hard to find. Yeah, totally. Great point, great point. I'm glad we brought that up.
Well, we did kind of jump to dinner. Let's talk about what's really cool to do when you're out tasting is to to stop and get lunch. Um, you, you always want to start the day with a great breakfast or something. Just eat something in the morning before you get started. But you also want to plan your lunch. And sometimes you might find a tasting where food's going to be included and then you're set. But otherwise, one of the best things to do is plan to picking up sandwiches is kind of the, the wine country thing to do, isn't it, Lou? Yeah, that's what I like to do. And, and if you're in Napa, you have Oakville Grocery. It happens to be the long, I'm going to do a little plug for Oakville Grocery here. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, it is the longest continually open grocery store in America, 1853. It opened the doors. I yeah, oh. I had several owners. Um, uh, Joseph Phelps owned it right, and then now um, John Charles Boise. Great sandwiches um, in and out fairly quickly. Now, where everybody wants to go, guys, is God's Hamburgers, you know, and uh, that's a great idea. But I got, I'm going to warn you, there's going to be a line. Yeah. So what I do, if I have a driver. I asked the driver if they wouldn't mind calling ahead while I'm in that uh, at late morning tasting and going ahead and ordering our our food. And yeah. then you just pull right up. You can go around to the right side of Gotts and pick it up. Otherwise, you know, Rutherford Grill right in the middle of it is great. On the Sonoma side, there's so many good places. If you're in Dry Creek which is a fabulous place to go and, and taste because it's got these two roads that like much like Napa and East West Dry Creek Road and East Dry Creek Road. And on East Dry Creek Road, there's an old general store. They have fabulous sandwiches there. Yes, they do. You're, you're making me hungry for a I good, know, me too. A good wine country sandwich because they're the best the, the bread, the, oh, I get those, I get an avocado sandwich. It's mm, mm. so good. Anyway, so. And then, so there, you know, quick sandwich, uh, mm -hmm. breakfast, make sure you eat breakfast. Yeah. I mean, so many people, they, they're not used to having breakfast. They blow it off and they get out there. And by the time they're done with their first tasting, they are three or four sheets <laughs> in the wind. And, yeah. uh, it's not a. It's not a good deal at yeah. all. Well, and that kind of leads us into like morning of. You, okay, you made it. You did all your preparation. You're in wine country. It's the morning of. You're getting ready. Like you said, you're usually going to be picked up pretty early because I think it's crazy. But most tastings start at 10 a.m. To me, I, I prefer to wait a little later. But if you're trying to get three tastings in, you kind of got to start by 10 a.m. So to lose well, point, not everybody's breakfast. as disciplined as you, and that are going out and doing their run and everything. So depends well, on your lifestyle. <laughs> I guess that's part of it. Start yeah. the day off right, but the other thing to eat something, you start hydrating in the morning and hydrate all day. But make oh, sure you're great also thinking, yeah, hydrate. But if you're having coffee, make sure you have your coffee early because one of the things is that that coffee you know, coffee strong and it has a lot of tannin and it has a lot of flavor to it. It's going to linger on your palate and you don't want that to interfere with your first tasting. So I always say have your coffee, but don't have it right up to the time of your tasting. Ideally. I mean, you know, I love that point. That's so true. Uh, you know what, uh, our, our friend Ron Finolio, who does so many 
different pairings and everything. He said, there is nothing that pairs with coffee. <laughs> so yeah. just remember that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Get it. Get your jolt, but get it early. Yeah. And then as girls, this one's probably more towards girls, but I always get, what do I wear? You know, and we have something called wine country casual. Well, what does wine country casual mean? So I'll speak to the girls when the weather's are nice, casual sundresses, um, you know, white jeans and nice shirts, linen, linen pants and shirts in the winter. You can I think you can dress up jeans most places you go. I mean, and this is where Napa and Sonoma are a little different. Napa, sometimes I would say. Maybe fancy is not the word, but people dress a little bit. Wouldn't you agree in in Napa, people dress up a little bit more. Sonoma's much more casual. Would you I agree, would. Luke? I'd say that for sure. Yeah. But that's that's the best key. But the other point is layer. It's so important to layer no matter what time of year. Because, and Lou brought this up, like sometimes you go inside for a tasting and you're in a barrel room or you're in a cellar. It's going to be cold in there because they're keeping the temperature low for the wines. But then you might do a tasting outside in the summer and it's going to be warm. So you want to always make sure that you can kind of adjust. So always bring an extra sweater, a scarf to layer. That's for girls. I don't, Lou, you got some advice for the guys? <laughs> well, I think predominantly layers. Um, it, it, the summers get hot. But here's the here's the deal. In the wine country, we have what's called a diurnal uh, climate. That's what makes the wine so delicious. So you have a hundred degree day. Well, that night it's going to be fifty, and the you know the, the acid stays bright inside the grape. The grape's been working its tail off or skin off all day, converting that starch into a carbohydrate. And, and then at night, oh, it cools down and just stays bright and tasty. Well, as much as we enjoy it, you just need a little wrap of some sort, you know, a pullover, or light sweatshirt or something in the summer. In the winter, you want to wear layers always. And, you know, the beauty of wine country is jeans are acceptable anywhere. Yeah. I do agree with Meredith. Napa tends to be a little bit nicer dressed. But let me tell you, you're going to be getting in and out of a car all day. You're going to be many times, you know, wanting to go uh, on a little tour of the vineyard. You might be walking through a barrel room and sampling uh, wine direct from the barrel. You don't want to have real fancy shoes. And avoid heels. Avoid heels, ladies. Uh, Right? (laughs) Avoid heels. And also, you want something that you can get in and out of the car, uh, you know, in and out of, uh, of an Adirondack chair. That might be out on the, you know what I mean, Mare, on the right, deck, right. looking at a, at a deal. Yeah. So, you know, you want functional, mm-hmm. comfortable clothes. And still look cute. Us girls still want to look kind of cute, but <laughs> think about I like them. that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking to that, the other thing you want to think about wearing is uh, a Really avoid wearing any strong scented perfumes or cologne. Great, great point. And I know that seems, I only say that because part of the wine experience, and Lou and I'll talk a little bit about the tasting experience, is smelling. Wine, the, the, the smell and the aromas of a wine are so much a part of the experience that maybe you don't care about it for yourself, but at least respect the other guests that might be with you. If all they can smell is your perfume or cologne, they're not going to really be able to enjoy and smell the aromas of the wine. So just a, it's a, it's a 
courteous thing to do. Well, and you know, as a matter of fact, Meredith, if you if you walk in wearing strong cologne or perfume, they're just going to know you're a rookie. You're, you're <laughs> going to get point. some bad looks from that, right? Valid from point. Locals. Don't yeah. be a don't be a rookie. No, <laughs> we want to make rookie. you. We're doing this to make you seem like you're seasoned and you've already done this a few times. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, we've talked a lot about day of, I think already, but just the, you know, one of the other things, and this is where it will benefit you if you have someone driving you is plan enough time between your tastings, especially during high tourism, because the roads, like Lou said, in a lot of areas, there's only two roads in and out of where you're going. So traffic backs up. Uh, So just try to, you know, plan appropriately for that. Well, what I like to do, Meredith, on that note is before I come out, to the wine country the night before I'll Google every winery and I'll put directions in and get a concept, you know, get an idea of, first of all, where they, where they're located in the Valley mm-hmm. and um, you know, how to get there. I like yeah. to have that in my, in my head a little bit. No, that's such a, such a good idea. Um, we talked about hydrating between tastings and planning for meals, but the other thing in this kind of goes again with the perfume and it goes with the coffee is a kind of avoid chewing gum and having mints. And I know that probably sounds like we're, you know, being bossy, but we, but it will, will impact how wines are going to taste and also feel on your palate. You know, you spent a lot of money out here to, to come to the wine country and, you know, you're going to be drinking some killer wines. You want to be able to taste them and mm-hmm. mints and, and that ruin. First of all, they'll, they'll coat, they'll affect the pH in your mouth, much like rinsing your glass out with water. Good you know, point. There's another rook, a rookie mistake. We're going to teach you not to do that. Yeah. Don't, don't rinse your glass out with water. That, that changes the pH in your glass. So glad you mentioned that, Lou. Right. And and it's the same thing in your mouth, you know. And I liked how, you know, when you were you knew I were talking, you said this, I don't know, I, uh, consciously or subconsciously, a lot of water between your tastings. Mm-hmm. You don't want to drink a lot of water while you're tasting. Mm-hmm. You want to keep that pH uh, the same mm-hmm. in your mouth. Now, a lot of wines have a high tannin. And you'll, you know, you'll notice the dryness immediately. You put, ever, ever put a, a sip of wine in your mouth and your tongue goes dry? That's from tannins. And tannins react to the protein in saliva. And so what you want to do is inhibit the saliva output in your mouth. And the way to do it is to coat your, your saliva glands. And the best way to coat your saliva glands is with cheese dairy, you know, like a piece of cheese, a fatty meat. That's why charcuterie boards really work great. And there's nothing wrong with you making a, a little baggie of a uh, ad hoc charcuterie plate <laughs> to take with you. You're just going to enjoy the, the flavors of the wine better. Yeah. And that kind of leads to two you know, one of the, one of my, some of my favorite experiences in wine country is when I've gotten to have like a picnic in a vineyard or take, pick up sandwiches and then go actually get to sit and enjoy that while we're having wine, which is, 
can be a really special experience, but it's really important to make sure that you find out that's okay with the winery. Cause some wineries do have strict rules about that for whatever reason it may be a, it might be, they might have too many people to, you know, they can't, they don't have time for you to sit and eat a sandwich. Some might want their wines to be all you taste with nothing else in your palate. So there are places that allow that. So just make sure you do your research if that's something you want to do. Cause it can be, I mean, you, Lou, you, some of the places we've gone where they've allowed that have just been really special. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So I think we don't want to take up too much more time, but we do think one of the, a couple of those common questions is how do I taste wine? Is it okay? Like, am I doing, I always get the question, am I doing this right? (laughs) And first of all, there's no real right or wrong. Like people just need to, you just need to have fun and enjoy it. But like Lou said earlier, we don't want you to walk in and be the total rookie. So if we can give you a few tips on how to taste the wine so they think you're a seasoned pro, we'd like to do that. (laughs) I taste uh, tennis balls, right? (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to come up with, it tastes like crushed rose petals as opposed to regular rose petals. <laughs> you don't have to get that nuanced. But Lou has a great way. He kind of goes like in terms of how you taste, he starts at the top and works his way down. Well, like, you know, which in your face, you start with your eyes are up top, your nose is under your eyes and then your taste. So, you know, you look at the wine, you get an idea. Is it deep in color? Is it a, is it a garnet color of, of purple? Is it a more of a, a red fruit color of, of uh, red? Is it a light? Is it a pale red, which often shows up in Pinots and some of those wines? Uh, same with whites. You know, is it deep gold? Is it, is it pale yellow? That gives you an idea a little bit about how it was made and, and, you know, how long the crush time happened, fermentation. And then the next is your nose. And, you know, you always see people swirl. Well, what you're doing is you're oxidizing, you know, getting oxygen to that juice that's been sitting in the bottle for three, four five years, trapped in a bottle with no oxygen. So it's tight. It hasn't opened up. If you swirl it, the oxygen gets in there and activates all the flavors and, and aromas. And then I have a deal where I start at the very top of the glass. I do one breath and I'm visualizing three different zones inside the, the, the uh, glass. And I take one breath from the top of the rim and slowly all the way down to the bottom of the rim. And what I'm smelling for is really, you know, like, what do you, uh, is it red fruit? Is it black fruit? Is it um, leather? Is it vanilla? And then the next thing would be, is there a strong oak uh, fragrance on this? Uh, was it neutral oak or new oak? Then on the very bottom, this is what Meredith's great at identifying. It's, we call it the tertiary notes of a wine and and i'm telling you guys you can have a lot of fun with this and i'm going to have meredith speak to tertiary notes but you can go into that little bottom level of your of your glass and pull even deeper uh aspects of that wine right mayor absolutely with the with the aged wines you can definitely start to get just 
more complex aromas and tertiary notes. So there's primary, secondary, and tertiary notes when you're tasting wine. Primary is just think like what fruit. Fruit is probably the most common note you'll get. Floral is probably another one, but fruit because I mean, after all, at the end of the day, wine is made from grapes, so you're going to get some fruit components. Those secondary notes come from when a, a wine has been often aged in a bottle. I mean, I'm sorry, aged in oak. So that's when some oak uh, nuances come in. The other way you get secondary notes, and I don't want to make this, this would be a whole podcast on its own, um, is through, if a wine goes through malolactic fermentation. And so that's yeah. when they convert the malic to lactic. And so that gives you notes of like butter and cream dough. Tertiary notes come from when a wine has been aged in the bottle. And that's when you start to get those notes sometimes of, sometimes it's cocoa and chocolate. Sometimes it's leather, tobacco. Uh, in white wines, you start might start to get that caramel notes. Um, so those are the tertiary notes, speaking to all those different things lose. Um, talking about so you kind of it goes back to your first point you got to be open-minded when you're smelling that really you can don't think what you're smelling is wrong everyone goes is that what I'm supposed to smell what you're smelling is right and just finding the right words to to, to say to um, categorize it I guess love it I love Which it just takes lots of practice tasting let's just face it Lou and I are seasoned because we do a lot of tasting we sacrifice we taste a lot Hey, we give it up for the team here. <laughs> so you lay it on your palate, you know, and you kind of, I, I don't know, but I, I close my eyes, you know, and one of the things I'm doing is I'm, I'm sort of interested in what the, what the acidity of the wine is. Acid brings out the brightness, the, the flavors of the fruits in it. And um, the way I test it is I put a little puddle in the middle of my tongue close my eyes and I go one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. And if it starts bubbling up around that bubble in the first three seconds, it's a high acid wine. And that's going to pair really well with high acid foods. Mm -hmm. Then if it's three to six, it's a medium, medium acid. And it'll go with probably a ton of different foods. That's a lot of Mississippis. Yep. A lot of Mississippi food there. (laughs) And then if it's you know, if, if it takes sort of a while, so to speak, to bubble up, it's a low acid uh, one and you probably need to go ahead and pull out fried chicken and um, <laughs> and enjoy it. It's because it's going to be good. It's, that's going to be your rest one. But you know what I love, Meredith? I love what John Ash, if you guys go back and listen to our, our podcast with John Ash, who is the father of wine country cuisine and he taught at the Culinary Institute and what he like good friends with Martha Stewart or somebody uh, like that. Like Julia Child. Julia Child. A cooking segment with her, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, and, and what both of them say is don't worry about pairing your food with wine. Pour a glass of the wine that you want to drink that night with your that you want to drink with your meal and let your food make your food to taste with that wine. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Meredith's, Meredith's really good at it. And if you go back and look at a lot of our pair with Mare videos, you'll see like how she does it. It's And by the way, it's almost all the time real healthy food. 
and why she's making her food this way to pair with this particular wine. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's the fun part of once you once you're at a winery and you get to take those wines home, then you get to play around and make food to go with them. That's the that's the fun part, putting it all mm-hmm. together. Yeah, so I think that's those were great tips on tasting wine. And mine's do I do the five S's, which is just see, look like Lou said, color, swirl to get the air, smell, get all kinds of aromas, which is probably my favorite part and the way I like to challenge myself. And then um, sip, flavor, and then at the very end, savor. And when I say savor, I also is like decide if you like a wine or not. But when as part of my wine and wellness that I do with my company, Decant You, part of that is like just a mindfulness of going through that process and understanding why you like something or don't like something. So to just say you don't like something, I don't feel like you learn then what it is you don't like that, that you can take on to help you find wines you do like. So it's like, you know what? I don't really like that because I don't like how acidity, how much acid there is in that. Or I do like all that bright acidity. So just find a way to classify why you're liking something or not, because it'll help you, especially as you're in wine country and you're out experimenting to be able to verbalize what it is you're finding that you like and don't like. And then you can take that back home into wine shops and wine stores to find styles of wine that you like. Yeah, I love that. I love what you're saying. It's just spot on. The other thing is, and Meredith really, uh, I can't spell this, but Meredith's <laughs> big on it. It's okay to spit or or dump. Uh, <laughs> if you you know if you don't want to finish the pour that they gave you, you can dump it. Yeah, most people in my family don't know how to spell or say no, words you're, either. If you're with <laughs> one of your buddies, they might uh, scold you for that. But don't, yeah. you know, don't feel bad about it. You'll see dump buckets. Yeah. On every at every tasting, and yeah. it's very normal. There's nothing abnormal about it, right, Mary? Right. I think the key is just don't make a big deal about it. Don't go, oh my God, that's awful. Don't like spit it out and make a big scene about it. Just subtly spit something out or dump it. Just be respectful when you do it. (laughs) And then also, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, waiving a tasting fee if you buy wine. So if you buy wines at a winery, you have two choices of bringing it home. Three. One, if it's just a few bottles, you can easily take it in your suitcase, wrap it in your workout T-shirts or, you know, like a sweatshirt or something and uh, check it as your luggage. And it, and it 999 out of a thousand, it, it comes through fine. Uh, the other way to do it is get a hold of a box. A lot of wineries have shipping boxes. If you're going to do 12 bottles, let's say you could get a styrofoam mold inside of a box and you can check that box on an airplane very easily. Yeah. And some of the wineries, because I think you brought this up one time, um, not wineries. There are a couple airlines that will allow you a free case of box, like a box wine. You have yeah, to check I, check with them. I don't know. I can't. I don't know who it is. Maybe Alaskan or somebody. I think Alaskan does. Yeah. Yeah. But and then the other the other challenge you're going to have is shipping, and this is a reality that we 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 struggle with. Shipping can be expensive, very uh, expensive, right? Especially for those of you on the East Coast. Yeah, and so you you need to budget that. And you also have to think 
about when the time of year you're shipping. And I, this, my experience comes from both living in Phoenix where summer it's a hundred degrees plus they're not going to ship because you risk like your wine boiling in the middle of the summer. But for us, when I lived in uh, Phoenix, I think it meant I didn't get my wine till October, November, some years I'd be there. We'd be there in August and before they could ship it in November, November time. Oh, for sure. Or when I lived in Cleveland and it's minus 20 degrees, they're not going to ship your wine then either. So you might have to skip out on some your wine in the winter. So those are also two things you kind of have to consider when you're thinking about shipping because you might just have to wait on your wine. We can't wait to see you guys. We really yeah. do. And and uh, again, I encourage you to take it, go back and look at our library of podcasts. And you know, if there's some wineries that you you're interested in, you're gonna lo- you're gonna learn a lot about them, man. And mm-hmm. and I can tell you this: it's probably never that Meredith and I will do an interview with a winery that we're not crushing on. Agreed. Agreed. I yeah. Go listen to those. But also, if you're coming and you have questions or, you know, want to want some tips, reach out to us on social media. Um, We also have, you know, Meredith at Major Crush Wines, Lou at Major Crush Wines, Sonia at Major Crush Wines. You can reach out to us and ask questions. We, We are giddy to be able to share wine country with people. So we love questions and we love trying to help guide you to the right fit for you of places to visit. So please, please reach out with questions or if you want recommendations. We'd love to. Love to. Love. And thank you guys so much for listening. Yeah. And can't wait to see you. Can't wait to get back out there. And uh, cheers to everyone. And get out and visit wine country. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of Major Crush. Next week, Mare and Lou will be back with a fresh new episode, and this time around, we've got a super exciting guest. It's filmmaker and wine culture influencer Jason Wise of Psalm Films and Psalm TV. We can't wait to share his story with you, so be sure you've hit subscribe, because you won't want to miss it. Until next time!